Greetings, cultivators worldwide. Jordan River here back with more Growcast. Making waves, calcium waves. Today we have Nick from Rooted Leaf back on the show. Nick is an amazing educator. We are talking about calcium as we continue our nutrient deep dives, going through one at a time and talking about these minerals in depth and what we need to know about them as cannabis growers to maximize your yields, your harvests, your trichomes, and all the good stuff that we're after. So I know you're going to love today's deep dive with Nick into calcium. Before we get started, though, quick shout out to AC Infinity, your one-stop shop for grow gear. ACinfinity.com, code GROWCAST15. Always, we've been partners with AC Infinity for so long. We love them. They make amazing, sturdy grow tents. They have whole grow kits that come with everything you need to get started. A light and fans, exhaust fans, oscillating fans, a pot, some trimming scissors. They've got almost everything you need to get growing today. Go and check it out. Their Cloudline series were their first product, and their amazing inline fans for your intake and outtake of your grow room and then they started coming out with other products like their ion board lights their amazing cloud lab grow tents they are my favorite grow tents on the market always use code growcast15 at ac infinity for the best most sturdy grow gear anything you need everything you want it's all there at ac infinity they look fly they're high quality they've got great customer service we love everybody over there our contact sydney is so wonderful so shout out to AC Infinity and always use code GROWCAST15 to save big. All right, everyone, let's dive in with Nick. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, podcast listeners. You are now listening to GROWCAST. I'm your host, Jordan River, and I want to thank you again for tuning in today. Before we start today's show, I do urge you share this show. Hit that little share button, copy that URL, and send it to your grower friend. Today's episode is going to be strong, and we appreciate when you share Growcast. It's maybe the best way that you can help us out. So we appreciate you, everybody. Go to growcastpodcast.com/action to see everything we're doing. It's all there, all the Growcast goodies. Today we are here on Growcast Podcast. And we are back into the nutrient series. The last episode on nitrogen got so many good reviews. I think this is a great way to provide digestible information about what these elements do and then go a little bit deeper into some of the more advanced stuff as well. So you know them, you love them. Back on the, on the line from Rooted Leaf is Nick. What's up, Nick? How are you doing, man? Hey, Jordan. I'm doing pretty well. Good to be back on the show. Hell yeah, brother. I'm very, very excited. Of course, Nick, uh, the creator of Rooted Leaf Nutrients, rootedleaf.com, code GROWCAST for 20% off, of course. Nick, how have you been doing, man? And what have you been up to? You've been busy. Yeah, yeah, we're doing pretty well. You know, we're staying busy. We're preparing for an event that we have coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, It's going to be a really exciting event going on in New York and Long Island. That's right, man. Thank you for involving me on this. Uh, can you talk about the Rooted Leaf class, uh, Secrets to a Successful Harvest, that uh, that I'll be speaking at? I'm so grateful. Yeah, definitely. So we definitely appreciate your involvement and participation in this. We decided um, we would throw an event in Long Island because we have um, some good uh, connections out there. We know the owner of one of the largest hydro shops. We've done a couple of events that have been along the same lines in the past, but never anything that is specifically focused on cultivation. And it seemed like a really good fit for the market because New York is up and coming. There's going to be a lot of home growers in the next few months. Certainly this year, by the end of it, you're going to see a massive amount of home growers enter the scene. So we want to enable everybody and allow them to network with each other so they can share information, spread the knowledge and learn how to you know, grow this plant a lot better. So this is going to be an awesome class. I am super excited about it, man. Um, you and I are going to crush it up there. So again, we are out in New York. You want to give the uh, the date, the time, and this is partnered with Li Hydro, right? That's right, Li Hydro and Beth Page in New York. Um, we have two events going on. One of them is an industry night that's going to be on Friday, February tenth. Starts at eight p.m. It's going to be a wild night. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be catered food. We'll have drinks available for everybody. We're going to have a raffle that's pretty sweet. And overall, it's just going to be an awesome opportunity for people to connect with each other and get to know each other on a more uh, personal level so that they can start sharing information about how to grow. The following day, Saturday the 12th or the 11th, is going to be the cultivation class itself. And that's from noon to three. Again, we're going to have food and drink provided there. And the entire event is going to be recorded and published uh, as a private video on our YouTube with people getting the access code or the password there so that if they wanted to go online and watch some of the content again, they could, and they don't feel like they're going to be losing out on anything. 
So it's going to be a lot of fun, both of those events. Grab those tickets, February 10th and 11th. You can find it at rootedleaf.com. That's where you can find the tickets. Come see me and Nick. I am so freaking excited, man. Um, shout out to the East Coast chapter. I'll see you guys there. I'll be there for the industry night. I'll be there for the class. Uh, we've got some good information to share with you. And more importantly, I'm going to dig some of that knowledge out of Nick's head and make it digestible for you listeners. So super appreciate you guys involving me on this. Um, and and yeah, I just I can't wait to see everybody. See you in just a couple of a uh, couple of days uh, from when this drops. Yeah. A week from today is the industry night. That is perfect. That's right. That is It'll perfect. be exactly a week. Woo-hoo. I'll see you there, everybody. Um, so, so Nick, listen, we are doing this series together that I am so excited about. Simply talking about nutrients one at a time, what they do in the garden and how we need to be approaching them as cannabis growers specifically. So the nitrogen episode was awesome. And now we are moving on to our next one. Maybe not going the direction that people think, but you won't be that surprised if you listen to this show. Calcium is today's topic. I'm very excited to now talk about calcium. Um, so we're going to get right into it. And again, I want to dig into that brain of yours. Let's start from the top. Calcium is in our, let's say it's in our soil system or it's in our feed. We give it to the plant's roots. What do plants use calcium for? You know, calcium is a really, really interesting element. And as a cation, I think it's one of those that a lot of people overlook the sort of subtle, the nuances, you know, those little details that actually paint a bigger picture overall than just understanding it in a simplified way. So everybody knows, you know, calcium plays a bunch of key roles in plant growth and development. Those could include things like the actual growth and establishment and development of the roots because the roots themselves can be considered calcium sinks. The more calcium we provide to your plants, during the vegetative stages, the healthier and stronger your root system is directly going to be as a result. But in addition to that, it also has uh, a lot of very important properties in the foliar surface too. Calcium ions themselves are responsible and heavily involved in the process of photosynthesis. So they're involved in the actual physical opening and closing of the stomata, which allows CO2 to come in and for the plant to actually photosynthesize effectively. So they're very, very important across the entire plant. They obviously play a role in cell division, cell elongation, a majority of the calcium that you apply to your plants is going to be uh, found as a structural component. So in the cell walls, um, for example, and also in the root hairs themselves. But that's not to say that calcium as an ion isn't also responsible for signal transduction. It is a it is a signaling compound. It spreads certain types of messages between cells of plants and gets the entire plant and every cell within that plant to have more or less the same response to the same stimuli. So you get this holistic uh, whole plant response as opposed to just a localized response. Um, so we'll kind of get into that a little bit in greater detail because ultimately the point of this um, conversation, I, I hope to stimulate people's uh, train of thought to think about calcium a little bit differently than just, you know, is it mobile or is it immobile? You know, there's, there's something that happens underneath those layers when you look a little bit more closely that just totally transcends that kind of question. It kind of makes it almost irrelevant in a certain way. It's, it's like you have to start thinking in a new way about calcium. So I'm excited to get into that. I want to talk about this because it seems like when you're saying that calcium is used for things like cell division, cell elongation, and, and all of this kind of growth, um, is it truly taken up and then stored in the plant? This is something I've, I've heard you allude to before. Other nutrients have a more complex cycle, but calcium kind of gets eaten up, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When the calcium is uh, applied to the plants, whether it's a foliar spray or whether it's through the roots, it kind of works its way up and inside of the plant, inside of the xylem, and it kind of gets distributed across a variety of organelles. So within the plant cells themselves, you've got certain pockets or certain sites where calcium ions actually get concentrated. We're looking at things like the endoplasmic reticulum, the vacuole, which everyone's familiar with, that is a major uh, organelle within plants. That well, what the was that first one though? Okay, the second one I recognized, the first one was the what? I, I'm pretty sure that's a made up word. <laughs> that's right, the endoplasmic reticulum, the, the ER basically is what it's called. Um, and it's sort of like the protein production factor, you know, without getting too far into it, it kind of sits on the outside of the nucleus, it's kind of divided into the smooth and rough surfaces. But you can think about it like the, the factory where certain proteins and lipids are made. And those, once they're manufactured in the factory, they get exported outside of the factory, which is 
the uh, cytoplasm of the cell. It's sort of like the actual soup of the cell. It's the body of the cell. Wow. Okay. Um, and this is all so a calcium-driven process. Cal calcium definitely interacts pretty heavily, but um, the endoplasmic reticulum is also a known sink of calcium within plant cells. You know, so just we're kind of like tracing the path that calcium ions take. First, you apply that, uh, you know, calcium-rich feed water into the soil. Those ions work their way progressively closer and closer to the root hairs. They end up being taken up by the root hairs. There's certain types of uh, calcium-sensitive channels and pumps that will interact with calcium in a way that allows it to bind to those pumps and channels and then get moved through those pumps and channels. Jeez. And that's how it works its way inside of the uh, inside of the plants into the xylem tissue. And then from there, it's taken up and it gets distributed across all of the cells. Obviously, the water flows um, across the whole plant and that flow of water delivers calcium ions. Now, wow. once they're delivered to the cells, you've got these different compartments where the calcium ions tend to kind of concentrate within. Obviously, we just talked about the cell walls. Cell walls are major sinks for calcium because they participate in the actual physical structuring of the cell wall. Whoa. So, okay, that, that just important. made so much sense. Something just clicked with me uh, as I'm talking to you. So, I, I love when, when that happens, man. I've probably talked to you for hours. And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, now we're I, still kind of, now you're kind we're, of, we're kind of hinting. It. Yeah, yeah. And we're kind of hinting at some of the um, subtle nuanced stuff. We're going to actually come back over the top and take a look at the propagation of calcium because it's pretty that's where it gets trippy that's where pandora's box opens but uh you know besides the cell walls and the endoplasmic reticulum um there's something called the vacuole in a cell which is kind of like the ma major um storage site for all of like the ions and the minerals and the sort of water that flows into the cell vacuoles can actually take up a significant portion of the actual size of the cell in some cases when the cell is properly hydrated you're talking about like 80 to maybe 90 percent of the cell can just be this big fat giant vacuole that swells up inside of the cell and it's just full of water and it's full of minerals and it's full of all this good stuff that eventually is distributed out of the vacuole as it's needed so for example if there's calcium stored in the vacuoles that calcium can actually be remobilized and it can be uh and we'll talk about the quote-unquote remobilization. I know some people are already going to be like, whoa, 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 Cal is he saying that calcium is mobile? Um, yes, and actually we'll, we'll kind of get into just how mobile it is. Wow, but, uh, man. Okay, that's great. This that's... concept. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and the concept of mobility is a little bit different, I think, um, with you know the sort of the recent advancements and understanding of how calcium actually participates in, in uh, cellular processes that are active, that are dynamic. Jeez, um, man. So besides cell walls, um, you also have chloroplasts and mitochondria, which are like the actual energy producing organelles, right? Chloroplasts harvest the energy of the sun. They produce the sugars. The mitochondria um, oxidize those sugars, produce ATP. So it's a nice little factory. One produces fuel, the other burns the fuel. And calcium, as it turns out, is actually heavily involved in the basic functions of both of those organelles as well. But uh, so, okay, now we've kind of established that once calcium works its way into the plants, there's kind of these... Uh, known suspects, so to speak, of where are the major calcium sinks. Cell walls, mitochondria and chloroplasts being the energy producers. And then you have this weird thing, the made up word called endoplasmic reticulum, which is like a protein factory. <laughs> so you got the energy factories, you got the protein factory, and then you have uh, the vacuole, which is like the nutrient reservoir for the plants. It's like a big giant tank of feed water. That's what the vacuole <laughs> effectively is. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of how calcium is uh, mobilized, My... uh, metabolized. God, man. Um, okay. So there's a lot that I want to dig into. Like you said, I want to talk about the mobility. I want to talk about um, dosages. And let's start from the beginning, though. Uh, let's talk about different forms of calcium. You know, I see a lot of these different bottled products with CalMag. This, there's other stuff in there. There's nitrogen in there. I see some like liquid bone meal. It's like CalFos, right? It's got to be a little bit of phosphorus. What are common forms of calcium? How do they uh, act differently from one another? That's a great question. And I think it comes down to the metabolism of them. With your organic flavors of calcium, typically you're dealing with things like bone meal or gypsum, which are calcium phosphate, like you had mentioned, and also calcium sulfate. There are some more premium specialty organic amino acid-based uh, calcium supplements, and those obviously are amino acid complexes of calcium, but those are uh, you know, significantly more expensive, and they tend to be lower in overall calcium concentration. Now, if you're just using like lime, for example, um, obviously it's going to be almost, you know, 
pure calcium. It's very, very high concentration of calcium. So the issue with those and the, the problem, you know, excluding the amino acids, let's say, um, the problem with organics sources of calcium is that they're not very soluble in water. And the conventional flavors of calcium, primarily it's calcium nitrate, solves that challenge, which is why it's such a popular ingredient in most of the CalMag blends that you see out there on the market. Calcium nitrate is significantly more water soluble and it delivers like thousands of times more calcium. You know, don't quote me on that exactly, but there's such a big difference in the solubility that it's no wonder why crops, which are considered calcium heavy feeders, really need access to large amounts of soluble calcium. And then mm -hmm. if you feed them calcium nitrate, they, they respond very well. They do very well. Um, now that's not the most ideal flavor of calcium. If you're looking at the actual way that it's metabolized, it's the most ideal if you're just looking in terms of solubility, because every little tiny drop of water that you're giving to the plants, you can shove a lot of calcium in there significantly more than with the organic flavors of calcium. So those are the ones that people are most used to. There are some other, uh, types of calcium. There's like, um, uh, you know, like the ones that we're manufacturing are pure organic acid based chelates, which means that they don't have any nitrogen like an amino acid would, and they don't have any, uh, nitrates. So there's no nitrogen present inside of our chelates. They're just organic acid based. And these kind of loop back into the basic metabolic processes that plants kind of utilize anyways to, um, form their cell walls to, you know, to make the thicker cellular structures and all that good stuff. But people are, you know, perhaps the most familiar with the calcium nitrate, not as much familiar with some of the more novel organic acid chelates that are out there. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of that. Um, what do you think for a cannabis grower uh, are the things you want to look for and avoid, right? So for instance, you were saying the, the calcium with the nitrogen works really well in a lot of crops. But for instance, during flour, we've talked about how that's a bad idea if the nitrogen is already high. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, the, the problem with the calcium nitrates isn't so much the calcium, it's the nitrate in there. It just represents such a such a energy intensive process. I mean, to convert nitrates into an ammoniacal form draws reduction power away from making pectic acid, which is actually what the calcium ions themselves need to complex with in order to make the thicker cell walls. So it's kind of like a conundrum because on the one hand, everybody knows that if you apply calcium, just the dynamics of that calcium are such that the cell walls become thicker, they become stronger. Um, they're a little bit more resistant to disease pressures and things like that. Um, but then on the flip side, if you look at the actual evidence and data out there, it suggests pretty strongly that over application of calcium nitrate actually creates thinner cell walls and it reduces plants ability to resist disease pressures. So it's almost counterintuitive, but the reason that happens specifically is because nitrates are so energy intensive for plants to process. And that energy could have been spent on creating pectic acid residues instead of converting nitrates from their ammoniacal form into an amino acid form. Right. Um, so it's just about thermodynamics. It's about the balance of the equation. Um, it's a zero so, sum yeah, game is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. And you have to kind of, you know, during the vegetative stage, if you have high light intensity, like if you're in a commercial production facility, or even if you're just growing at home and you have, you know, good quality LED lights and you can really get that light intensity up on the plants, you may see that the plants actually respond well to high doses of calcium nitrate because during that vegetative stage, you know, they want to eat up that uh, calcium and they can afford, you know, the light energy that's coming in gives them enough of that chemical energy right. to then convert those nitrates. But during those early to mid stages of flowering, the plants may not have as great of a need for nitrogen anymore, but they still maintain their need and appetite for calcium. It actually kind of goes up a little bit. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, can, can we look at, I've heard this said on the show before, can we look at calcium as a macronutrient? What even defines a macronutrient? Like, did they just group those three together, like those primary macronutrients? Like, why did they choose those? And would you consider calcium a macronutrient? You know, the, the, uh, I think the technical definition of a macronutrient is something that's most limiting in soils. I think that's like the agro agronomic uh, definition. I could be wrong on that, but most people, when they hear the term macronutrient, they're really thinking about elements that are taken up in greater quantities than other elements. Right. Um, that's how I think so in that about sense, it. They're mac yeah. And in, in that sense, they're macro because they make up a, you know, macro or a majority of the plant's actual weight. And that, that also doesn't really apply not only to the NPKs, but just in general, um, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, I mean, carbon is, as we've talked about in the show in the past, <laughs> um, 
carbon is taken up in higher concentrations than all of your NPKs combined together, multiplied by five. That number <laughs> is huge. The, the amount of carbon I'm talking You're offended about. So, by yeah. that carbon is not included on this. Um, That's yeah, right. I That's see what right. you're saying. And then don't plants also, different species of plants take up different amounts of different minerals. So for cannabis, we kind of just got to like think of it a different way. Yes. And I would consider calcium to be a macronutrient in the sense that it's taken up in such large amounts. I think a lot of growers, a lot of the problems that people struggle with both on a commercial scale and even at home can actually be addressed if you just understand calcium a little bit better. Plants don't really need as much phosphorus as, you know, the PK booster companies out there would have you believe. Um, In reality, plants will actually take up um, significantly larger concentrations of calcium than phosphorus. The phosphorus concentration is pretty dang close to the magnesium concentration in plants. They have a lot of coordinated activity within the plants, particularly with metabolic processes like photosynthesis and also with the activities of the mitochondria and the production of ATP in the mitochondria. So magnesium and phosphorus are pretty dang tightly correlated and coordinated as far as the energy production goes. So those two, um, if you consider magnesium to be a micronutrient, um, then you should also to the same extent, consider phosphorus to be a, a micronutrient just in terms of how much is actually taken up by plants. Calcium on the flip side, in certain cases, you can actually fit more calcium inside of the plants than even nitrogen. And sometimes that ratio gets pretty close to one-to-one, just like the phosphorus and magnesium. But yeah, I would consider calcium to be the second most abundant cation in terms of how much can actually be taken up by the plants. The first, the most abundant cation is potassium, which we'll save for a later episode. Um, But it's good to mention it right now because calcium and potassium are taken up in massive concentrations. I mean, several hundred parts per million is possible to shove inside of the plants without doing anything detrimental to them. But the way that they're metabolized is fundamentally different. We just talked about all these sinks and outlets for calcium, kind of where it goes. Potassium on the flip side doesn't really do that. It just kind of hangs out in the opposite space. It's always kind of like flowing, moving around. Um, It's never really going to be uh, a huge constituent of the cell walls or a major, you know, uh, constituent of the endoplasmic reticulum or anything like that. Um, so it's kind of worth mentioning and planting that seed right now, but calcium is, is very, very important so for it, those. And it's taken up in large, large amounts <clears throat> from a lay person's perspective. Does this mean that if we over apply calcium, we're less likely to see like uh, detrimental effects to our plants? Is, is that the case? Well, it kind of goes back to the form of calcium that you're applying, because if you just shove your soil full of gypsum or bone meal, it could take a very long time for that calcium to properly get metabolized and broken down. And the problem is that the amount that flows with every drop of water that actually works its way inside of the plant, the concentration of calcium is so small that you can't ask a rapidly growing plant to rely on that small concentration of calcium. Mm, Again, this is kind of why... uh, various forms like calcium nitrate, for example, they're just so soluble and they can deliver that much calcium. Now, delivering that doesn't necessarily mean that it's ready to go. It means that it's ready to be processed and the processing requires a lot of energy and that can burn you from the opposite end real quick if you get too high on that. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. But like our calcium, the calcium chelate we make in CalMag fuel, if you compare that to like calcium sulfate, for example, which is gypsum, Gypsum releases 2.6-ish grams of calcium for every gallon of feed water, whereas our calcium chelate releases 350 grams of calcium. So we're talking about 150 times more calcium in every single little drop of water that your plants get. Now, all of a sudden, because they have 150 times more calcium, they can do things like grow under more intense lights, or they can grow faster. They have increased uh, uh, resistance to disease pressures, things of that nature. Yeah, man, that CalMag fuel is no joke. That is a go-to in my uh, in my arsenal, obviously, uh, the CalMag fuel. So you talk about the movement of calcium, and you mentioned mobility before. Can we talk about mm-hmm. that for a second? Um, actually, could you maybe start from the beginning and talk about the basics of a mobile nutrient versus an immobile nutrient? I'd love your explanation of that, and then where calcium falls. Yeah, yeah. So mobility in uh, plant nutrition is kind of the easiest way to look at it is to say that some elements, like nitrogen, for example, can quickly be remobilized and repurposed so that as water flows from cell to cell and across the whole plant, these elements can kind of, they have the flexibility to work their way across, you know, various compartments within the cells and even across various cells to kind of uh, go to where they need to be in a rapid, in a rapid manner. Um, immobility 
refers to this concept that the nutrients themselves, wherever they're applied, they're just going to stay there and they don't actually, there's no forward movement of those ions propagating from cell to cell that they just kind of hang out wherever they're introduced. Um, you know, several decades ago, this these studies were done on calcium and they basically showed that most of the calcium ions um, localize pretty close to the site that they're introduced and injected. Um, and so they kind of came up with this theory that, you know, calcium, once it's introduced either as a foliar spray injected into the plants or even taken up through the transpiration stream, once that's deposited within the cells, there's not really any sort of forward movement of the calcium ions further from there. And it just kind of, no one really knew where it went or what the activity of calcium ions were within plant cells. It was just assumed that it was a structural thing and that if you gave your plants calcium ions, that they would become incorporated into the cell walls. And that's the end of that story. So in that sense, calcium is physically sunk into tissues. And once it's sunk into those tissues, it doesn't get released again. It's not like other elements, which may be able to be recycled more readily in plants. However, that concept, although it's accurate to a certain extent, it doesn't really do any justice to the recent findings. Um, you know, certain phenomena occur with calcium that just kind of raise this question and beg it to be asked again. You know, are we looking at this concept of mobility in, in slightly wow. the wrong way? Maybe we need to open up and address a couple of things. It's more fluid those than we thought. Maybe, we kind of, maybe those things we can kind of get into a little bit. This is where Pandora's box will open up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, you have this flow of calcium ions, obviously, you know, it's taken up from the soil, it gets uh, distributed within the plants and there's these major sinks as far as the organelles go, including the mitochondria and the chloroplasts. As it turns out that when you stimulate the plants, you can touch them, you can cut them. If you're a leaf biting insect, you can crawl around and find yourself a yummy snack. But as soon as there's some mechanical disturbance, there's this weird phenomena that occurs. It's, it's called a calcium wave. Calcium waves are kind of an enigma as far as plant physiology goes because there are these periods of activity, these uh, concentrations of calcium within the plant cells, particularly in the cytoplasm, go up significantly. And there's some kind of a stimulus, there's some kind of a signal that's spread to the plants that in induces the release of calcium from these organelles like the wow. vacuole, for example, the mitochondria, the chloroplast, and the endoplasmic reticulum. They flood the cytoplasm with calcium ions. And within the cytoplasm, you know, along the membranes of the cells, there's all of these calcium-sensitive and calcium-dependent channels and pumps. One of them, they're called gap junctions, and another is called the plasmodesmata, which is kind of like this um, fluid membrane that connects cells. But the idea basically here that I'm trying to get at real quick before we get too complex is that plants, <laughs> the cells themselves are not, are not as distinct from one another as people think. What what happens on a cellular level is that there are certain kinds of channels like freeways, for example, that can connect the cytoplasm of two cells. And Jeez. even on the outside of the actual cell wall where the plasma does these little channels that connect to the cell walls of neighboring cells. So now we're talking about a transport network here. We've got two distinct phenomena. One is like a cell wall to cell wall kind of connection. And the other, which are gap junctions are, uh, directly from the cytoplasm of one cell to the cytoplasm of another cell. So during this activity that the plant experiences, if it's a mechanical stress or something like that, like a bug biting down on an insect, uh, you know, on, on a plant leaf, what happens is that it triggers the release of calcium from all of these sinks, all of these organelles, and into the cytoplasm where all of these sensitive proteins or calcium-sensitive and calcium-dependent proteins and channels exist. And what they do is they... Uh, create a standing wave of high calcium concentration. And those ions can actually work between the cytoplasm. They can work their way and flow their way through these gap junctions specifically and go into neighboring cells. And what ends up happening in the neighboring cell is that same calcium wave effect happens where you there's a trigger. And then all of a sudden that trigger releases a bunch of calcium into the cytoplasm space. And then again, all of these protein uh, uh, cofactor, all these proteins that, that rely on calcium as a cofactor start to get activated because all of a sudden there's more calcium that's freed up. And it's not just like one or two or three things happen. I mean, we're talking about um, all of the functions of uh, signal transduction. So hormone regulation, for example, if you're talking about spreading a signal across the plant, hormones are very important, like auxins and cytokinins, for example, those have to move from cell to cell. 
And how do they do that? Well, calcium waves are heavily dependent and they're involved in the process of regulating how those hormones actually move from cell to cell and spread the messages and get the word to each cell that this is the top of the plant, this is the bottom of the plant, the insect is biting here, we have too much heat stress going on over there. And it interfaces all these different organelles uh, that start to correlate their activity. And so this is where calcium comes in as a signaling element. It's not just responsible for making the cell walls. It's responsible for spreading messages that do everything from guide primary growth, because again, they're, they're concentrated in the, in the mitochondria and in the chloroplasts, which means they're heavily involved in regulating the primary activities, all of the photosynthesis. You know, as I mentioned earlier, one of the basic functions is calcium is responsible for opening and closing the stomata right. itself. Yeah. So of course the flow of gas is in and the concentration of sunlight coming in all of this stuff has to be coordinated. And as it turns out that calcium as an ion is the signaling element that's heavily involved in all wow. this stuff. It's on the back end saying, okay, what's going on here? What's going on there? And during periods of certain activity, the calcium gets flooded back out into the cytoplasm and then it works its way um, across cells. So these are known as calcium waves. Calcium does spread in fluxes across the plant, but I do want to be very clear and say that the calcium waves themselves don't imply that there's the forward movement of all of those calcium ions. What ends up happening is there's a whole bunch that's released into the cytoplasm. All of these proteins start to get upregulated. These enzymes become active. And a little bit of the actual free calcium ions do work their way across between the cytoplasm of various cells. And so you do have a spreading of calcium. However, the majority of the calcium, at least it's thought so far and been observed so far, the majority of the calcium actually gets um, released on the back end of that wave as the wave collapses, the the calcium ions return to their sinks. There's wow. some transporters involved. There's some channels that are involved that connect mitochondria and the activities of the mitochondria with the activities of the chloroplast. Jeez, like like so a tide. Exactly. You have this returning of calcium into its stores. Um, but again, there is forward movement of calcium ions, and that has been shown to be true. Jeez, man, that's wild. The things that I'm talking about with these calcium waves and how they actually are responsible for propagating calcium ions from cell to cell, this is all like super cutting edge, you know, 2023 type articles. I mean, this is the type of research that's just now being done. And people are starting to figure out that calcium is actually remarkably mobile, I guess you could say, in the sense that- In the true sense, uh, in the sense of the definition the of the sense. word. <laughs> Ability to sense. move. Um, yeah, yes. this is crazy. A calcium wave is defined as a localized increase in CA2 plus that is followed by a succession of similar events in a wave-like fashion. What you're describing is wild, and it, it sounds exactly like that, like a tide. That's so crazy that this is all happening at a, at a cellular level. Yeah, yeah, and there's all, all kinds of different uh, mechanisms that have been proposed. One of them is you have a phosphate sugar that triggers the release of calcium from those intracellular stores, uh, which actually creates the, the physical wavefront, and it leads to this spike uh, or this increase in the concentration of free calcium ions. And then that, you know, because there's so many free calcium ions, there's all these different calcium-sensitive proteins that become activated. And there's conformational changes, meaning that the calcium binds and it changes the, the shape and the structure and therefore the function or the activity of the thing that it's connected to. And that is what propagates the wave forward. I do also really quickly want to mention that when it comes to cell wall biosynthesis, the cell walls aren't just this thing that is like formed and then it's done being formed. As a result of photosynthesis, there's this huge amount of electron energy coming in. The plants are constantly being bombarded with high uh, you know, electron energy that's being soaked up by oxygen accidentally and inadvertently it creates reactive oxygen species those degrade the cell walls and start to break it down the plant is always being bombarded with this crazy energy and it's trying to keep all of that stuff balanced so you have this constant degradation of the cell wall as a result of just nature being badass you know and the light energy that's coming in i mean if you stand outside for too long just like me if i stand outside for too long i'm going to get a sunburn plants are kind of in you know a similar position they can handle that energy a little bit differently but the point is ultimately that as the cell walls start to degrade, calcium can come back. And as it's released through these calcium waves, part of those uh, calcium, part of the increase in the cytoplasmic calcium concentration can actually get resunk back into the cell walls because you've got these pectic acid residues that can be complexed. You have all these enzymes that literally take pectic acid and they take calcium and they make a nice little molecular sandwich, which becomes part 
of the cell wall. So it makes sense then that cell wall biosynthesis is fundamentally linked to calcium waves happening within plants. And that's why it's important to make sure that your plants, if you're growing in any kind of environment, make sure that you have good airflow going across your plants. You want them to move. You want them to dance in the breeze. You want all of that stuff happening because as you push your plants around like that, really what you're doing is physically pushing calcium around in the plants. And you're allowing for the mobility of calcium in that sense. I know it's not the strict definition of mobility, but again, with these gap junctions and the plasma desmata, they have been shown to, to actually move calcium ions <laughs> between the cytoplasm of various cells. And it's specifically in response to these calcium waves where the concentration of calcium in the cytoplasm raises significantly and it raises quickly. And it raises as a result of organelles, which are typically considered sinks of calcium, all of a sudden flooding the cytoplasm and releasing that Jeez. calcium. And then as that wave dissipates, those calcium stores kind of uh, get the calcium becomes resunk into those calcium stores. Okay. So I usually do a recap at the end of the show, Nick, and this requires a halfway through recap. So take that as a huge compliment on the amount of knowledge you deliver. <laughs> but to recap, um, so calcium is much more than just a structural nutrient. It's involved in a lot of different processes inside the cell. Uh, you talk about the opening and closing of the stomata being a calcium-driven event. You talk about um, calcium being able to move with, between these waves whenever there's a disturbance. It'll flood to the wound. That, that all makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I also like what you said about the uptake of calcium and how it works its way into the plant. That opened my eyes. Um, to, to a new level, level of understanding. And then also the ways that cells uh, are, are applying calcium and, and depositing calcium in these sinks. That's a lot of good information, man. Um, is that a good overview? Um, I know that calcium does a lot besides just being a structural nutrient. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And like you had mentioned, you know, there's the structural kind of things that everyone's familiar with. You know, calcium is a component of cell walls and therefore it makes up the foliar surfaces. It makes up the roots. But there's also this kind of thing that happens a little bit more deeply within the um, metabolic activities of plants. Calcium does participate and regulate the opening of the stomata, which allow for the inflow of CO2 required for photosynthesis. They're also involved in the activities of the mitochondria and in the chloroplasts, which are the energy producing factories within the plant cells. So it does coordinate this primary metabolic growth in a signaling way, but at the same time, it does participate as a structural component and a majority of that calcium that you give to your plants gets sunk into the cell walls. Perfect. The That's a analogy great recap. With calcium, the analogy with calcium waves to kind of keep it simple is that calcium waves are like neurons firing in the human brain. That's the easiest way to kind of look at it and think about that. Plants are using calcium as a signaling molecule to spread messages just like we use electrical signals and obviously calcium is a cation so it can hold the charge. Um, that charge gets spread and, and those messages are very cryptic. It's hard to decode them, but that's kind of the enigma with plant physiology is like, how do calcium waves spread information like how neural activity and neuronal activity as your neurons fire, they are also spreading information in very, very similar ways. That's crazy. That is so wild. The neural network of calcium. Wow. That's right. Within plants. 100% that is a good way of looking at it because, again, the calcium waves do interface heavily with the activity of hormones. And so Jeez. if you have this change that's happening in the plant, whether it's something basic like apical uh, meristematic growth, you know, during early bed, your plants are shooting up, they have a defined top. That top and what is considered the top in the plant is defined by the way that the hormones are spread because if you have disturbances in the auxin and cytokinin activity, you can actually change the morphology of your plants. What happens when you top your plants, right? You induce the cytokinetic uh, type of growth, the uh, uh, lateral branching as opposed to um, apical dominance. Mm -hmm. And calcium waves are definitely responsible and they participate in that. In fact, the moment that you take your shears and you cut the head off that, off that plant, you've induced uh, calcium wave. That's the origin point of the calcium wave. So now imagine you're looking at your plant, you just topped it over the next 10, 20 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, there's going to be this wave, like a tidal wave, originating at the point where your scissors made contact with the plant. There will be calcium fluxes that release calcium into the cytoplasm, and that moves its way across the whole plant. It's a slow process. It takes a long time. There's a lot of cells you know, within the plants. There's hundreds of millions, if not trillions, of cells within the plants that all have to respond and get this 
signal. But what ends up happening is the whole plant responds. It's not just the top that you cut. Jeez. It's the whole plant going down to the actual roots. That's why you have this coordinated activity between how the roots take up water and nutrients and where it gets delivered to. Calcium coordinates all that activity and makes sure that it's flowing smoothly and happening appropriately. Wow. That is mind-blowing. So it directs traffic. It's a, it's a It's an air traffic controller for the water as well. That's insane. That's right. Not only does it make up the actual structure of the highways and the freeways itself, but it then comes back and says, I'm going to tell the traffic how to flow. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> wow, dude, that is a mind, that is a mind blowing revelation. Um, so I want to talk about back to cannabis growing. I want to talk about the specifics of cannabis's needs and how we can apply calcium. So like the difference between veg and flour and, and actually maybe start here. Should we be giving our plants a calcium boost in flour instead of like, you know, you look at these old school PK boosters like zero fifty thirty, and so many guests that are nutritional specialists like you are like, eh, not so much. Um, what do you think about that? Um, I think it's really important to think about calcium in kind of that way that we just talked about it. You know, we're kind of trying to add some animation. We're trying to add some like movement, some activities, put some energy into this concept that calcium isn't just this like meh immobile and it's dead. And once it's there, it's there, you know, it's like, it's so much deeper than that. Um, so I want to kind of paint this picture for people that during the mid stages of flowering and particularly in the early stages too, obviously, but really once the flowers actually start developing and they start chunking up and you get this increase in the floral biomass, the flowers themselves are major sinks for calcium. So to me, it's a little bit ironic how most of the CalMag supplements are nitrogen-based, and around the time that the flowers start bulking is when growers start cutting out their CalMag, their nitrate-based CalMags. What this fundamentally does is it in increases disease pressures. The plants aren't getting as much calcium as they actually need to make really thick, strong, durable flowers that can resist environmental stressors, that can resist degradation. Even after you chop the plants and dry them out and cure them appropriately, you'll find flower that had the proper calcium Levels always cures better because the cellular structure, if you zoomed in with a microscope, that cellular structure is so much more resistant to oxidative stress and decomposition because the proper levels of calcium were there. Again, most growers in those early to mid stages of flowering, they're kind of looking at that CalMag number and wondering how much nitrogen they actually need. And then during the mid to late stages of flowering, they end up cutting that CalMag down or out entirely, which I think leaves a lot to be desired as far as the final quality goes because the plants needed the calcium. They didn't need the nitrogen. Damn. And so the grower made the decision to cut the nitrogen out without even understanding how it affects the calcium metabolism of a plant. I mean, one of the best ways to increase your yields is to focus on calcium and calcium delivery to the plants, not in a nitrate form, but in an organic acid form, because as the calcium becomes a constituent of the flower structure itself and builds those cell walls, you get a, an increase in the density and you get an increase in the weight. Because calcium, quite literally, is sunk into the flower structure that you're holding in your hands when you're looking at a bud. There's calcium there. Wow. And that's that really, really important. We'll be right back with Nick. But before that, shout out to Growcast Seed Co. That's right. You can find all of our genetics at growcastpodcast.com forward slash seed co. That's S-E-E-D-C-O. Go and check out our awesome new website. You can order right from there using a card or whatever you need. We've got some awesome genetics on tap for you. Of course, our flagship peach quake strains. We have a whole line still available up there. I think some tectonic truffle available for a limited time. I just finished out that strain. And my God, first of all, this thing finished in like like seven and a half weeks is we finished so fast i could not believe it it smelled like peach alcohol or, or peach acetone with these truffle umami undertones it is absolutely nuts if you want to see all of our strains make sure to follow rhizo rich on instagram at rhizo underscore rich icc there you can find pictures of our peach quake strains our ice cream wolfman strains everything we've been working with and shout out to the man himself rhizo rich our head breeder at growcast seed co absolutely crushing it lately we've got an oreos femline that's going to be dropping in just a few days so keep an eye out there but for now check out our offerings growcastpodcast.com slash seed co grab the tech truffle before it's gone for good see if there's any uh, ice cream wolfman crosses left up there or the doo-doo butt crosses you're going to want to grab them before they're gone forever. Thank you, and shout out to the members. Make sure to use that member discount on those Growcast Seed Co. Seeds. All right, everyone, let's get back to it with Nick. You know, most of the time, the amino acid is basically 
basically composed of like we had talked about in our episode of uh, on nitrogen the amino acid is is like this uh, amalgamation of an amine functional group which is ammoniacal nitrogen is different than nitrate nitrogen nitrate is negatively charged and ammoniacal forms like ammonia are positively charged so once plants do that charge conversion to an ammoniacal form that's an amine group and the amine group is combined with an organic acid residue typically it's 2-oxoglutarate is the name of the uh the precursor sort of a byproduct of the krebs cycle a citric acid cycle within plants but this uh this uh the spine if you will the body this organic acid becomes combined with the amine group so you have this amine organic acid complex which is shortened to just amino acid right so there would be nitrogen if if that were the case okay i got it i got it um correct so our organic acid chelates are just the the um, just the skeleton of that with no with no ammoniacal head group. There's no amino charge. There's no ammoniacal nitrogen inside of it. It's just that organic acid residue, and that's really important because as we had just talked about, when calcium waves occur, the release of calcium into the cytoplasm provides building blocks to make cell walls. This could be a problem if you're using nitrates because the cell wall instead of process being powered, you know, the thickening of the cell walls using the calcium, that energy gets diverted to reducing uh, the nitrates, chemical reduction into that ammoniacal group. What our CalMag does that's so different is it actually provides the energy that goes directly into the biosynthesis of those cell walls. We have precursors that feed pectic acid biosynthesis in addition to actually complexing them with the calcium ions. So by, you know, delivering that kind of calcium, what we're doing is encouraging the plant to take its available energy that comes in through our fertilizer and use that to make thicker cell walls. Now, because there's no nitrogen, it's useful for growers in the mid to late stages of bloom that need to keep their calcium loads high on the plants, but want to cut that nitrogen load out because at a certain point, the plants just don't need it anymore. Okay. So let's talk about the end of the cannabis life cycle. Then let's talk about flushing with calcium. This is something I've heard about with gypsum, which I know has the sulfur added. What do you think about this flushing phase and using calcium during that phase? We have a couple of customers that have done that with pretty good results, and it does make sense from a particular standpoint in that, you know, we had just talked about how calcium accumulates in the floral tissue itself. It does become a constituent of the cells that make up the flowers themselves. So you can get an increase in weight and biomass and overall quality of shelf life and, and the um, resistance of the terpenes from breaking down and all that stuff, just in terms of the mechanical benefits that calcium can provide for the plants. On the flip side, though, flushing with calcium the way that we've seen it work out well is not so much as a structural aid anymore because at that point the flowers are already established they're matured the trichomes have already been built up and they've been right. filled in with all of the you know all the dank sauce and wizard juice that gets accumulated <laughs> within the trichome heads and calcium at that point the importance of calcium is more of its signaling properties it can be involved in controlling the expression of genes that regulate the biosynthesis of terpenes and cannabinoids. There is also some evidence that suggests calcium ions play a role in the formation of the trichome stalks and potentially to some extent the trichome heads, although it's not really clear if that's due to its structural mechanical properties or more its attributes as a signaling element. Um, so yeah, towards the end of the cannabis plant's life, having ample supplies of calcium could actually help with the gene expression that is uh, important to regulate during, you know, the maturation phase when the when the trichome heads themselves, you have this uh, maturation of the the chemical constituents inside there. You know, they're produced obviously these compounds are produced across all of flowering, but um, during the late stages in particular, people are trying growers are trying to time the harvest with changes that they see in those trichome heads. Oftentimes, it's a change in color. For example, you may go from clear to a little bit more milky white, and then eventually amber. And those types of changes that you see in the trichome heads, those are heavily influenced by the activity of calcium ions as they are mobilized through these waves of uh, calcium, the, the phenomena of calcium waves, I should say. Freaking wild, man. It's wild shit going on in there. It's a microscopic universe. Um, so let's talk about things that calcium doesn't play well with. Are we looking at the uh, molders chart here? What is what does calcium mess with? Yeah, you know, it's it's. I don't really think there's much weight behind Mulder's chart. I know a lot of people point to it, but I think people like to get lost in the complexity of it. It's just all kinds Ooh. of like lines here and dots there and arrows here and everywhere. And it's like, 
it's very easy to just get lost in like the, whoa, that looks complex factor. Um, in reality, all of these elements are tightly regulated and tightly coordinated with each other for the purposes of basic plant metabolism. You have calcium participating in the opening and closing of stomata, which obviously is heavily uh, going to influence the plant's ability to photosynthesize. But phosphorus also plays in pretty significantly with the role of photosynthesis and producing actual sugars that can accept the CO2 out of the air, and then also in the production of ATP, which is used by the mitochondria. Um, but calcium and phosphorus don't necessarily get along, yet their activities are tightly correlated and coordinated with each other within the plant's metabolic network itself. Mm. So when we talk about incompatibilities, really what we want to do is just look at the properties of these elements themselves, regardless of how plants use them. Because again, plants are going to do uh, wonderful things with them that the humans you know, will spend years and years trying to figure out how exactly it's done, right? Calcium has certain properties that make it adversely interact with phosphorus, particularly it's the charge that calcium holds and the charge that phosphorus wants to hold as well. You can inadvertently create insoluble forms of calcium, like calcium phosphate, which is bone meal, if you over-apply your PK boosters and you're going too hot and heavy on your CalMag supplement as well. They can actually tie up with each other. Uh, gypsum is also another example because calcium and sulfur don't really get along well. If there's calcium ions that are in solution and there's uh, sulfate uh, groups that are in solution, they end up meeting each other in the middle and precipitating out because they make gypsum and drywall is not soluble in water at all. There is uh, <laughs> a one one product at least that I'm familiar with. I've seen a couple others. Um, they're CalMag supplements. And ironically enough, they supply um, calcium nitrate, which is highly soluble in water. And the other ingredient is magnesium sulfate, which is also highly soluble in water. And so one would think that, hey, if I take this calcium nitrate and I combine it with this magnesium sulfate, that what I should be left with is something that's soluble because both the calcium is soluble and the magnesium is soluble. But what ends up happening is this double replacement reaction where the calcium breaks off from the nitrate and the magnesium breaks off from the sulfate and the calcium meets the sulfate and it drops out of the bottom and it makes gypsum. So you no longer have a solution that is actually delivering available calcium Whoa. to the plants. And you can actually watch that happen. Um, you know, just look on the back of some CalMag products. And if you see a dry, you know, bagged supplement, a salt-based supplement, and it says derived from magnesium sulfate and calcium nitrate, you can quite literally watch this reaction happen. It may take a minute or two minutes, but eventually you will see a solid layer form on the bottom and it looks awfully suspiciously similar to what gypsum looks like, <laughs> drywall looks uh, like. Drywall, you know? that gypsum drywall, man. I mean, can yeah. I, you know, it, it, it does, it does seem like it works well to hold up the structure of my house. Why wouldn't it hold up the structure? Of my plant? Um, that is, that is very that's, interesting, man. That's uh, right. And I think a lot of people will over apply sulfates. Um, you know, maybe we'll get into this a little bit in our episode on sulfur, but there's initially there's this like myth of a PK booster. And now I feel like the next wave of that that's happening is the myth of the sulfur booster. A lot of people really try to drive sulfur levels up without actually understanding what happens. Um, oh, how sulfur next? We tease in sulfur well, next? Listen, man, I'm excited yeah. to get into some of this deeply in the class. Uh, February 10th and February 11th, we got the industry night and we got the class on the 11th. So this is going to be really cool. Thank you for involving me. Um, this is this is Nick's event uh, in coordination with LI Hydro. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon, right? New York. Well, it's not New York City, is it? How does that work? Beth Page? Is that like when I go there, am I going to be like, oh, this is totally New York? Oh, no, it's in Long Island or it's on Long Island. I'm not exactly sure which is the correct uh, phrase I got to use, you. but I got it's, you. it's a little bit outside the city. It's not too far away. And I hope that for your viewers that are in that New York City area or close to Long Island, they can definitely come and join us. I think we're going to have a blast and we definitely appreciate you joining us for this. And that's rootedleaf.com? Yep, rootedleaf.com. Find the uh, tickets, everybody. You get uh, rooted leaf nutrients. You get seeds, a bunch of stuff. I'll be there speaking. Thank you, Nick. That's going to be so much fun. I'm excited to see my New York Gromies. Um, so yeah, man, I, I want to dig into more. I, it, this was a really awesome episode, and maybe we'll do sulfur next. But um, but yeah, let's wrap it. Uh, I, I believe we covered all of the points here. Any final thoughts on calcium before we wrap this deep dive into the big CA? Yeah. And, you know, like I was just saying earlier, a couple of minutes ago, I just hope that I inspire people to think a little bit differently about this concept of whether calcium is mobile or not. 
In reality, it's neither. It's a little bit different and it's a little bit of both. So just be inspired to look at your plants a little bit differently and don't undervalue the importance of calcium, particularly in the flowering stages when the flowers themselves are developing. You want thick cell walls, you want thick structures, and really you want the role that calcium plays in signal transduction where it actually increases the activity of terpene and cannabinoid synthase enzymes. It has nothing to do with the actual structure and the role that calcium plays as a structural element. This is everything to do with spreading messages, just like neurons in the human brain, as they fire off one another, they spread a message and they get the whole body to do one thing that's coordinated across that whole organism. The exact same is true for plants. It's wild stuff, man. Are you telling me that all things are connected and there is no such thing as division between cells or people or plants? Or I mean, my, my mind is exploding here. What kind of tea did you drink? Put some LSD in that tea this morning, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. LSD and some mushrooms, yes, at some level, deeply within all things are connected. And as we looked at calcium and how it connects all of not only the cells physically, but the activities and the chemistry of the cells, it kind of makes you think, is there any real separation that's going on here? No, the answer is no, everybody. And when you smoke fine herb, then you will see that. Um, thank you so much, Nick from Rooted Leaf. Everybody, you know him, you love it, love him. Rootedleaf.com. You can find the tickets to the event there. I'll see you soon, New York. You can find the nutrients there. Code GROWCAST for 20% off. Thank you for that savings, man. We love having you on to educate. And um, we, we appreciate everything you're doing and the work you're doing with Rooted Leaf. And thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you, dear subscribers, for tuning in today. I do appreciate each and every one of you. Hope you're doing amazing things in your garden. This is Nick from Rooted Leaf and Jordan River signing off, wishing you an extraordinary day. See you next time, everybody. Be safe and grow smarter. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And thank you to Nick. Before we wrap it up, let me tell you about all of our classes and events that we have coming up, or as many that I can list right here. First of all, our classes. We have, of course, the New York class, Secrets to a Successful Harvest, comes with rooted leaf nutrients, comes with GrowCast Seed Co. Seeds, and that is February 11th in Bethpage, New York. Go to rootedleaf.com for tickets and info there. Now, we also have our GrowCast Grow classes coming up. We have a breeder workshop. March 4th, learn to create your own strains. Rizo Rich is teaching a breeder masterclass and you're gonna wanna be there for it. We are going to equip you with all the knowledge and tools to get started selecting and breeding your own unique strains. After this class, you're gonna have everything you need and you're gonna know everything you need to know. So check it out. That is at growcastpodcast.com slash classes. You can get in on the breeding masterclass. And of course, our queen of the sun living soil masterclasses. Alexandria Irons is an incredible wealth of knowledge. And she's got dates coming up for you. March 18th, Boston. Uh, April 15th and 16th, Kansas City, Missouri, and Columbia. Come and get your soil scoped. Come and learn from the master. Alexandria Irons is a UC Davis certified master gardener and composter. She's an incredible instructor, and she's going to teach you everything that you need to know about soil and take a look at your soil under a microscope, tell you exactly what you need to do to optimize it. Of course, now, Unfortunately, I will not be able to make the Boston or the Kansas City classes. Oh, there is a scheduling issue. Um, I've got stuff going on that I just cannot get away from. But of course, Alexandria is the soil master. You are in wonderful hands. Go ahead and make sure to take advantage of these classes. Again, Boston, March 18th. And then the next month in Missouri, Kansas City on the 15th of April and Columbia on the 16th of April. Find all of it at growcastpodcast.com slash classes. We have all sorts of offerings planned for you. Stay tuned, everybody. Big stuff in the works. So check it out. We're coming to a town near you. And we've got meetups. Just really quickly, uh, we've got a member meetup at the end of month in February, uh, February 25th. We're doing a Michigan, Michigan meetup for the members. Make sure to check that out, all you members. Um, and then we have the Community Cup. That's locked in for May 7th in Oklahoma at the Oklahoma City Public Farmers Market. And, of course, the Cultivators Cup, also largely members only, and that's April 22nd. I also want to quickly tease some big giveaways that I have planned. You guys know that I like to do giveaways big, and it's been a minute, so that is going down very soon. Stay tuned, everybody. Anybody remember the 6K giveaways? Could be something like that. Thank you all for your support. I have wonderful episodes planned for you. Don't touch that dial. Stay tuned. We will talk to you very, very soon. Hope you're doing amazing things in your garden. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye. And they've been filled in with all of the, you know, all the dank sauce and wizard juice that gets accumulated within the trichome heads.